Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge Podcast. It's been a, another massive week in cricket and a massive day. Uh, at the point we're recording, I've been going for about 12 hours with an ODI and then a BBL draft, but we are recording nonetheless. Uh, Callum is with us once again. How are you doing, Callum? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Like you said, busy day. Yeah, not wrong, not wrong. Saw plenty of action uh, from you on Twitter during this ODI uh, that we will discuss first. Um so what were your initial thoughts? Obviously, Australia getting the win, but Zimbabwe looking competitive in parts, at least. It was a good game, yeah. Um, they really... it. I called it as the turning point of when Raza and um, the young batsmen um, were out there. And mm-hmm. I said, if one of them gets out, then that's kind of... That's probably the turning point of the game. And Raza yeah. got out for very little. And I think that's when it started falling apart for Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right there. Uh, Matt Havir was that that young batsman. He ended up with 72 from 91. Uh, really solid innings there. But as you said, Raz has kind of, he's held the team together. Uh, over the last couple of series, you know, three ma- uh, 300s in six matches. Uh, almost got over the line in that last match against India. But yeah, as you said, couldn't quite get there. They were five for 185 at one point, looking like, you know, maybe 250. Uh, could be on the cards, but, you know, they lost the last five wickets for just 15 runs, and and that was kind of it. Uh, Cameron Green picking up five along the way. Uh, some junk time wickets there, that's for sure. A lot, like, caught up, uh, caught out in the boundary. Glenn Maxwell getting under a couple, but, uh, you know, really good stuff. And Adam Zampa, uh, three for 57. So, you know, the usual suspect there uh, with the spin. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the pitch was interesting, wasn't it? It, um... Hmm. It wasn't as hard as I maybe expected it to be. Yeah. And I suppose it was hard in the other sense that it was difficult to bat on. <laughs> so um, there was a, there was quite a bit, quite a bit to it. And um, I think it offered, um, I think it offered a good kind of competition between bat and ball, just exactly what you want from one day kind of pitches. And, uh, you know, I think a few of those later wickets from Ryan Burl, the Earl of Twirl, as um, Kerry O'Keefe calls him, yep. uh Definitely put Zimbabwe in with a shot, but there was just too much batting quality down the line for Australia. So they, you know, ultimately brought it home with the big show smashing, smashing 32 off of nine, you know, just picking up where he left off in the 100. Yeah, uh, just incredible hitting from from Glenn Maxwell uh, down the end of there, but that was, you know, set up by half century to David Warner, 57 from uh, 66 in the week he signed with the Thunder. And Steve Smith finished 48, not out from uh, 80 balls. So he's preparing for test cricket, clearly. Um, Aaron Finch, though, 15 from 21. He looked like he was, like, he, first ball, he cut away for four. Things were looking really good. And then once again, he just chops under the stumps. Yeah, it was um, it was unfortunate because, yeah, he, like you said, he did look in good touch, but he just played one awful shot, and that awful shot ended up hitting his stumps. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's how cricket goes sometimes, and it's unfortunate for Aaron Finch because obviously he wants to be, you know, picking up on form and that sort of thing. But he didn't seem too worry about, worried about it. And um, as far as his captaincy went, I thought he made some pretty good choices in the uh, fielding innings. Um, besides some of the 
maybe some of the fields weren't as aggressive as they could have been, but the change of bowling and those kind of choices he made, I think were pretty sharp and um, led to Zimbabwe scoring less than they maybe should have. Yeah, I think like the criticism of his captaincy has never been, you know, of his captaincy. It's been of his position in the team and whether, you know, he warrants opening the batting when he doesn't score any runs. He's averaged something like 17 the last couple of years, just not really good enough. But, you know, he the way he directs the fielders, um, the way he interacts with his bowlers, that's all absolutely fine. Uh, he sat himself at first slip all day, like every good uh, club cricket captain does. So you love to see that. But yeah, as you said, um, a little bit of pressure on him. I'm sure he's going to do something like you know, hit 65 in the last ODI and just secure his place for the rest of the summer. And then, you know, we'll see what happens next year. But yeah, I think he'll be okay for the minute. And David Warner looks really good. Um, so, you know, plenty of positives there from the Australians and Glenn Maxwell down the bottom, as you said. 201, though, they would have liked to have chased that, you know, not five down, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it kind of... um. It, I kind of thought a little bit about it when we previewed the series that there'd be some complacency from the Australian batsmen. And when they were in that comfortable position of, you know, 100 and so for two or whatever it was, um, they started taking unnecessary risks. I mean, I remember Carey was 10, not out, and he just decides to launch off of a kind of shortish um, spin delivery and that got caught on the boundary. And I was pretty disappointed about that. And um, yeah, just some of the... Um, the shot making decisions, um, I think by Warner um later in his innings as well, were kind of um not wise considering the total you were chasing. Um I even I even said on Twitter, I said, um, um, Steve Smith, okay, yeah, we got lots of time. We'll see this out, we'll take our time, you know, play whatever shots we want. And then Glenn Maxwell said, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it panned out for him in the end, but you know, it's kind of sometimes if you don't get those shots right, then things can go very wrong. Yeah, 100%. I'm not quite sure what the, you know, the talk out of the Australian camp is regarding, you know, what each role is for this series. Uh, but for me, they should just be looking to play themselves into the summer. The batters should just be trying to, you know, as David Warner did, as Steve Smith did, just try to score at whatever pace they need to do, you know, chasing 200, they'll do that with their eyes closed. Um, you know, just play yourself in and take as much time as you need and make sure you don't get out. But uh, Alex Carey, he opens himself up to criticism. You know, there's plenty of Kiba batters uh, knocking on the door, including uh, Tim Payne, who wants to make a comeback, and we'll talk about him a bit later. Uh, but, you know, Marcus Stoinis, 19, he hasn't hit a half century for something like 49 innings. Um, and Mitch Marsh, too, you know, he's been dropped down from number three for this uh, for this match. So, you know, they, they open themselves up to criticism. They'll obviously stick around. For the rest of the series, uh, Manus is the other, only other uh, batter around, so you, you would think the lineup would stay pretty stable. But you know, a few low scores against Zimbabwe early in the season, and suddenly you're out of the team, and and we don't see you for the rest of the summer. So, yeah, not really wise stuff from you know Stoinis and Marsh and, and Carey there. But uh, it is what it is, I guess. We, yeah, as I said, we don't really know the messaging. Um, the question though, like. Cameron Green obviously bowled well, five wickets, most of them towards the end. Batting at eight, though, is that really what we want out of our test number six to be a, a bowling all-rounder in ODI cricket? Um, no, I think if you go in that direction, then you want him to be a bowling all-rounder across all the formats. Yeah. And I don't think that's what Cam Green is. I, I think I think he is a batsman first. He does lack a lot of confidence when he plays with the bat, and that's just because you know he's being psyched out of the international level. He's still a very young player. 
um, it's difficult to adjust when you're quite a tall batsman, um, especially at test level, because you're facing a lot more deliveries than you always would in limited overs and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, Green, I've always seen him as a project, and I think he's still a project. I mean, I think it's great that he got a Pfeiffer. You know, that was fantastic. It was um, good for him and that sort of thing. But I feel like if you're selecting Cam Green, you're selecting him as a batsman who bowls a bit. Yeah. So having him at eight doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. He bowled nine overs. And for a guy that, you know, he's had a lot of back injuries, right? Um, and we want to do your full-time batter. That's, you know, you're batting at six for Australia. That's your job. It's to bat. It's not to, to bowl nine overs. Um, the bowling is an advantage that he has over other number six candidates, but it shouldn't be the reason he's selected. And, you know, bowling him at bowling him first change, bowling him almost 10 overs. He'll probably bowl 10 overs in the next couple as well. Uh, it's it's really risky and it's a position at number eight that I think, you know, Sean Abbott could do just as well. Uh, he's probably a better bowler than Cam Green, obviously not as good with the bat, but at number eight, they weren't needed today and they're playing Zimbabwe. Like if number eight is batting, they've already failed and all, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just really risky. And maybe it's, um you know, a change of plan for what Andrew McDonald wants out of Cameron Green, but I think it'd be a real shame if, if we lose Cameron Green, the test batter, because, they want eight out overs out of him in an ODI. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I wanted to bring up predictivists because uh, we both noticed this during, during the ODI. Um, at one stage, Zimbabwe's, what were they, like one for, one for 40, maybe for it was one. two for something? They yeah, and predictivists, one, yeah. yeah, had them um, like predicting a total of 130. 130, yeah. Just uh, an insult, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um... Look, I, I just hope it was a mistake. Um, but the way it flashed up, it almost seemed like it was like, yeah, this will be it. Um, so regardless if it was a mistake or not, it's pretty silly. Um, I did find it quite humorous, though, like seeing, um, you know, the two, they were pretty well-established batsmen at the Absolutely. crease at that point. And, you know, they'd had, you know, pretty solid partnership of over 60 or whatever it was. And I'm like, bit harsh at 80 for one to say it'll be 130. <laughs> And then, of course, the next ball, uh, one of them plays a dumb shot and gets out. But um, yeah. still, um, they still got comfortably above that prediction. Um, mm. And I guess there was a bit of talk on social media about whether they should be using predictors at all, since it's two teams that don't really play each other. Um, and I think there's some merit to that as well. It, doesn't, it didn't really add to anything. It was just kind of something to laugh at. Yeah, that's right. All right. And Daniel Beswick, the, one of the hosts of the Emerging Cricket Podcast, pointed out that this is... You know, a ground that no one ever plays at. Like, there's been, what, two ODIs in the past and they're PNG and whoever else that was. Um, and, you know, Australia and Zimbabwe rarely play each other. I think last time was uh, at the World Cup. So, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense. And, yeah, obviously, just don't put up the graphic. If it's going to show something ridiculous like that, uh, Australia is not going to take uh, eight for, for 30, as, as bad as Zimbabwe can be on occasion. They will at least score 30 runs. So... Yeah, just just absolutely silly stuff. Um, the Andrew Simons tribute, though, in the well to begin, um, just during the the national anthems, they had a minute of silence for Andrew Simons, and then uh, his his kids were out in the middle with Aaron Finch to begin with, and then in the uh, innings break, uh, a really good tribute as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really touching. Um, it's quite emotional, obviously, for everyone involved. And um, yeah, Andrew Simons, you know, being from Townsville, it's obviously a, there's a lot of meaning attached to it. Um, so it's a great tribute to, um, you know, a great member of um, Australian cricket. And it's just unfortunate that we lost him so soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any changes that you would see that you see coming before the next one on Wednesday? 
Um, do you mean for Australia or do you mean overall? Both. I think um, Williams and um, Blessing will come back in for Zimbabwe. Um, I think that it's a stronger team with those two there. Um, so I think we'll definitely see them. I'm not entirely sure who they'll make way for. Um, maybe Jongwei hardly bowled, so maybe they'll rotate Jongwei out for um, Blessing. Um, I'm not entirely sure where Sean Williams fits in, but they'll find a way to put him in. Um, and then for Australia, uh, I'd like to see Manus play again um, from the from the way Cam Green conducted his um, post-game Man of the Match interview. Um, he seemed to indicate that Manus was really keen to play and really keen to be, you know, in amongst it. So it was probably disappointing for him not to be on that team sheet to begin. So um, I think it's worth um, putting um, Lava Shane in. Um, I don't know who for, because maybe Mitch Marsh, maybe Mitch Marsh. Yeah, because... I think you've got to take out one of those all-rounders, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Or Stoinis. Even though Stoinis is listed as an all-rounder, we're selecting him as a batter and he's not doing it as a batter. Absolutely. Yeah, hasn't as I said... No half century in 49 innings doesn't really deserve his spot, uh, in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. I think Manus will come in. Um, I'd like Cameron Green to go out, but after five uh, five wickets, I think he'll probably stay. And and you're right. Williams and uh, Blessing Mazzani will come back in. Um, Williams, like uh, Wesley Medvedere, was the man who came in for Williams today. He obviously hit 72 off 91, so he's probably keeping his spot there. Um, so... I'm really not sure who comes out, uh, but yeah, and and as you said, Jongui probably probably the man to miss out with the ball. Um, Brad Evans, of course, could come could come out. He bowled pretty well against India, but uh, the man who has an action, kind of like Glenn McGrath and Riley Meredith squished together. Um, just watch out for that one uh, next time they play. But we will move on to segment two, the BBL draft. It was massive tonight. Um, how did you find the the overall? coverage of it from fox it was fine um i found it weird that they could all hear what lehman hussey and uh kath yeah. laughlin were saying that was yes. a weird one mm-hmm. um, surely that's I, I don't know something does doesn't feel right about that to me but nonetheless yeah. that's that's how they ran it um i think the idea was good but i think having them all in the same room was silly they should have had them in different rooms like you know usual with drafts and that sort of thing <laughs> um but you know it came across decently well um there were a little pauses but it wasn't too boring despite you know what some may be saying it was a bit slow in the early rounds and that sort of thing but it wasn't too bad and um it was it was obviously interesting to see kind of the decision making it it became obvious early on that availability was a really big deal absolutely um if anyone's saying that slow they clearly have never watched an ipl auction because that is the slowest thing uh, in the world. They might be big numbers, but God, it takes a long time. Um, we'll go through the first round, though. I don't think we got many of these right, let's be honest, but um, number one pick for the Renegades was Livingston. Uh, Rashid Khan was retained by the Strikers. Trent Bolt went number three to the Stars. Uh, Sam Billings was a surprise for me, went to the Heat. Uh, Chris Jordan to the Sixers. The Scorchers passed. I think we'll talk about that in a second. Um, David Willey to the Thunder and Shadab Khan to the Hurricanes. Uh any interesting picks there for you? Um, so I didn't know Livingston was unretainable, but he actually didn't play in the previous season, so he was unretainable. Yeah, um, I think so. Um, it makes he might have been sense a, that he went first. I think he might have been a laid out, and then Laurie Evans came in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, so Livingston going first makes a lot of sense. Um, I think they all said he's the best player in that draft, and I think that's fair. I think he's 
the best D20 player in the world. So even if you don't have him for the full 14 games, having Liam Livingston, big deal, big deal to have him. Um, Trent Bolt got selected maybe a little bit earlier than I expected, um, but he's a, he's obviously an elite level fast bowler and um, he's a bit unknown in the T20 sphere. So I suppose there's a little bit of um, intrigue there um, bringing him into Australia, but um, he's, he's a great bowler and it'd be great to see him. And um, a lot of the selections people made were about locker room chemistry as well, which we'll talk about a bit later. Um, Billings and Jordan have both been here before, so it makes sense that they're coming back. Um, Rashid Khan was, he was picked second, but retained um, by the strikers, which I think everyone probably saw coming. Um, and yeah, I was a little bit surprised about David Willey going at number seven, but mm. I think he's a solid pick. You know, I think he's a really good bat and he's handy with the ball and um, he knows how to deliver in limited overs. Yeah, I, I think that's all correct. Um, Trent Bolt, you know, he's kind of, um, he's underrated in Australia. Like, obviously, really good for New Zealand, has been really good for Mumbai uh, in the IPL in the past. But, you know, once again, IPL on at a terrible time for Australians, so we don't really watch it. Um, so we don't really see how good he is. I think he'll be really good for the Stars. Khan would have probably been better. Andre Russell, probably better once again. Um, Andre Russell didn't go at all. I think part of that's availability. Um, I don't know what else is going on there. Uh, as you said, Sam Billings for the Heat uh, doesn't make much sense to me, to be honest with you. Um, Sam Billings, good cricketer, good T20 cricketer. Um, they don't need a keeper. They have no. um, Jimmy Pearson, right? So, and, and Jimmy Pearson's the captain as far as I'm aware. So Billings is is odd. They're probably going to play just as a batter in the middle order. Um, once again, Andre Russell, probably a better middle order batter. Um, Chris Jordan for the Sixers, you know, someone they've had in the past, obviously with Vince. Um, going in the second round, Chris Jordan makes sense there. Uh, Death overs bowler, really good with the, uh, in the field as well, and can you know slog a couple down the order. Um, the reason David Willey selected pretty simple availability. The only guy, uh, only platinum player that was available for all fourteen games, and then the Hurricanes uh, they went on to Pakistan. I think Ricky Potting must have just uh, sneaked into Pakistan a little bit on his way back from the IPL because you know uh, they went they went heavy in that area, didn't they? They did. They did. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously talk a bit more about it later. Um, the other two picks I was surprised about, but shut up, Khan, I wasn't too surprised about. He's a good player. He's a yeah. good leg spinner, um, young player, um, quite a dynamic um, player to watch. So it makes a lot of sense that he went in the first round. Yeah, 100%. Uh, then second round, the Renegades went with Majeev, a really good pick at, uh, at Marvel Stadium. Um, Joe Clark went to the, the Stars. Um, less said about that, the better. Colin Munro off to the Heat. Once again, the Heat, like Colin Munro and Sam Billings, very similar players. Um, Munro can also keep, so it doesn't make much sense. Uh, as we said already, Laurie Evans went to the Scorchers, James Fintz to the strike uh, to the Sixers. The Strikers, big Colin. That was a big surprise for me. Um, a very Jason Gillespie pick there. Uh, the Thunder keep Alex Hales, really good pick there. And the Hurricanes, once again, off to Pakistan with Asif Ali. Yeah. Um, yeah, the second round... Um, Mujib not being um, retained, I was a bit surprised about. Um, I thought the Heat would have been like, yeah, we want him. Um, but no, no, um, Renegade's got him, and that's great. You know, he's a really good spin bowler. He's a nice guy to have. Um, he's coming off some decent form um, in the Asia Cup. Um, he's taken a couple there. So, you know, that'll be, uh, that'll be fun to have and have him come around and uh, 
keep doing his thing and keep developing. Um, yeah, Joe Clark, um, I'll skip it as well because I know you don't want to talk about him, so that's fine. Um, Colin Monroe, I guess he offers a bit of everything. I know you said he's a similar player to Billings, but, you know, I think they ultimately selected Colin Monroe as he can hit the ball hard and we mm-hmm. want more people who can hit ball hard because we don't have Chris Lynn anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess he's he and Billings are there to kind of complement the more technical style of Kawaja and Pearson and the other batters that they have in their in their squad so I guess that's kind of the the angle they went for um Vince no surprise great pick you know um DeGrondome I've always loved Colin DeGrondome ever since he broke onto the scene in um New Zealand test cricket and he took like Pfeiffer on debut um bowling 115k thunderbolts and just smashing it as hard as he could down the order Um, it was really quite something to see um i don't know how he'll play in australia because he's played some limited overs over here to not great success um he can bat well here he his bowling is too slow for the australian pitchers um you know you normally want more bounce and that sort of thing he's not the tallest bloke and he's all about swing doesn't swing that much in a lot of Australian venues, so I don't necessarily know how much value you're getting out of him. But he does seem like a great guy to have around, and um, he's a different sort of pick, which obviously fits, you know, the Adelaide Strikers. They like those different kind of players, as you mentioned. So, you know, I'm pretty excited to see DeGrantome in the uh, Big Bash. Um, Phil Salt, I think, was a... Um, sorry, no, that's that's the next round. We will get to him, but anyway. <laughs> um, Alex Hales um, is also a really smart choice. Um, we had Hales going in the first round. Um, he's just an excellent, strong quality opener. I'm surprised he wasn't platinum as it was. And then, yeah, Asif Ali, as you mentioned, the the Pakistani uh, mystery batter, I suppose, um, for lack of a better description. Um, obviously, Ponting knows something that a lot of us don't. Yeah, uh, you know, Ponting does his research. It's pretty clear, right? Like, he, he goes really deep into um, who he wants for Delhi. We saw that at the recent IPL mega auction, and he's going to do the same at the Hurricanes. Uh, he's not the coach, but obviously they've got him in for this role, um, you know, scouting, that kind of stuff. Um, and he's done a really good job. Uh, yeah, Colin. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, his, his T20I batting average is 15, um, and he's going to be, you know, mostly in the team as a batter, right? You know, 115 kilometer hour swingers aren't going to go well at the Adelaide Oval, um, especially, you know, short square boundaries. He's going to get flicked over square leg consistently. Um, just doesn't really make a lot of sense, but he will be here for the whole tournament. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Uh, we'll move on to the final couple of rounds. Uh, the Hurricanes, once again, Pakistan, Fahim Ashraf, um, a name I've heard a bit, haven't really focused on. Um, the Thunder, really good late pick here with Riley Rousseau. Um, we had him going first round. Uh, and yeah, as, as I said, really, really good pick. Underrated player, Phil Salt, as you mentioned. Uh, Adam Hose. Uh, for the strikers, who knows who that is? Uh, Luke Wood goes to the Stars, and then we've got to the fourth round with Akil Hussain, the West Indian, off of the Renegades, uh, another spinner. So it looks like the, the Renegades are going to go really spin heavy. Um, Ross Whiteley went to the th- went to the Heat, uh, another English player. Uh, Naveed from Afghanistan went to the Sixers. He's played, I think it was ten T Twenty games in total. Um, and no internationals, and then Timel Mills was the last pick. Uh, really good late pick from the Scorchers. Yeah, yeah. So those later round picks, um, obviously Russo was fantastic pick. You know, mm-hmm. you and I both kind of saw that and thought, yep, fantastic, well done. Um, Phil Salt's a really good pickup. He's been great in the 100, and um, he's going to be a good batter down the order for um, the Scorchers. 
Um, I think maybe some of these choices were based on cap space because there are a lot of bronze choices, which are obviously cheaper than, you know, the gold that was passed, not the gold, sorry, the platinum that was passed and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where Whiteley and Naveed fit in, I suppose. Um, I'm not, I read up about Whiteley's averages a bit. I'm not super convinced about them but he does have 140 strike rate. So I think they're hoping he comes in down the order and just smacks it really hard, which, you know, has some value in T20. Um, don't know anything about Naveed, but, you know, mystery spinners are always fun. So maybe he'll come in and uh, light it up like um, Rashid and Mujib have before him. Uh, time or Mills, like you said, probably the best pick in the whole draft, getting Time or Mills with the last pick. You know, he's, he's a pro. He's been around for years. He's a really good fast bowler, good at the death. And, yeah, I think he's, he's probably the steal of the draft. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect Naveed to, to play, to be honest with you. I think um, the Sixers have, what have they got, Nathan Lyon, they've got Steve O'Keefe and Todd Murphy around. Um, so it wouldn't really make sense for them to pick another spinner there. Um, who knows, he might play, but I think it's more of a, a development call. Um, they're hoping maybe they can keep him for, well, he's only 18, so keep him for a decade, really build around him and hope that he turns into a Rashid Khan or a, or a Majib and, and becomes really good. Um, he probably won't be getting a lot of uh, international experience just because Afghanistan have so many spin bowlers ahead of him. So he, he'll be free the whole time. Um, you know, 18-year-old, he could, he could become anything. Um, so that yeah, that's all the picks. But who do you think won the draft? Um, look, I think the Renegades did. Um, they got the best player in the draft, so that helps. <laughs> um, they got probably one of the best young spinners in the world in Mujib, which is really nice. And he didn't get retained, so that's a really smart pick. And they got a solid pro in Hossein. He, you know, he's got international experience, another spinner, and um, I think they're really going all in with the uh, with the spin, as you mentioned. And you know. I think for a long time, the Renegades have needed to try something else. They're trying something else. So I think that's great. And I think they probably won the draft. Yeah, uh, good call. I think, yeah, obviously the Renegades have done uh, really well there. Um, I don't know. I think the Thunder have also, they obviously went, you know, very English heavy with Willie and Hales, but uh, Rousseau as well. Obviously they've lost Kawhi, just there's a top order batter they won't have. And an opening combination of Hales and Rousseau it's going to be really difficult for a lot of teams to get past. And Willie, whether he comes in at three, like he's done in the 100 recently, or if they push him down and, and have him more of an opening bowler, I think that's um, really dangerous stuff. The Scorchers, look, solid picks, obviously won the competition last year. Nothing all that exciting. I think that's kind of WA Cricket's brand. Um, not super exciting. Uh, and, you know, passing in that first round, let's talk about that for a second. Um, Cricket Australia is going to going to be very disappointed with WA cricket. I think, um, you know, they've cricket Australia pumped so much money into this draft. They wanted to have the best players and the Scorchers have decided to go with one gold player, one silver and one bronze, largely because they've overpaid Mitch Marsh and Cam Green and all these all rounders that are going to play for Australia who aren't going to be with the Scorchers the whole time. Josh Inglis is another one. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple more uh, that I'm forgetting, but you know, they've overpaid there and that's meant they can't afford a Faf Duplessis at the top of the order or an Andre Russell who Cricket Australia were hoping and, you know, put so much of this advertising around before the draft and both men are off the table. They're not going to play at all. 
Yeah, yeah. I think Cricket Australia are going to be disappointed overall because of the selections that were made. They marketed all these, you know, big, high profile. I think they honestly expected all 12 platinum players to be selected and that didn't happen. And that quite didn't happen, especially with the pass in the first round. So um, they're going to need to uh, reanalyze how they, uh, how they, you know, run the draft pool and that sort of thing. But obviously they can't control how many players declare. And, um, you know, if the organizations ultimately decide that's too much money, then that's exactly what's going to happen. And they probably need to try and learn a lesson from this. Yeah, absolutely right. I think, you know, it's been reported, I think the age reported at first that Cricket Australia is going to double uh, these salary caps next year. I think that'll put it up to 3.6 million. I'm pretty sure. I think it's at one uh, 1.8 million at the moment. So that'll, you know, free up a lot of money. And hopefully that allows them to get more quality players rather than just paying uh, Rashid Khan more money, you know. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Hopefully it allows players to also stay in Australia longer, have them for full tournaments. Because at the minute, the plan seems to be uh, we'll have Liam Livingston for the first half and then once our test players come back, we'll put them in and everything will be fine. Um, I'm not sure how well that's going to work out, to be honest with you. Uh, it seems to be what just David Warner, uh, the two guys from Adelaide and... You know, that seems about it that's going to play in the Big Bash as well. And Mitch Marsh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think, I mean, yeah, with Livingston, it's, it's unfortunate, you know. Um, I think that's kind of what we saw with, you know, at least with the Scorchers picks. Um, they picked players that are going to be available the whole time. And I think it's translated through past Big Bashes that teams that stay together perform well. And team chemistry is a big, big thing. And even during the draft, they mentioned team chemistry is a big, big thing. So that's um, that's something the Renegades are probably going to miss out on when Livingston does, you know, go after half halfway through the tournament. Um, hopefully it's not too dramatic of a decline, but it depends how they go in the early season as well, of course, because momentum also um, speaks volumes when it comes to these type of tournaments. Um, so I guess it just remains to be seen. But I think... I'm of the opinion that keeping a team together will make the team stronger. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. But unfortunately, that's not what Cricket Australia wanted. Um, who do you think is the favourites to win, you know, just based off these draft picks? You mean the uh, tournament? Yeah. I think Perth. I think they made the safest choices. They won last year. They're keeping a lot of their great players. I think they're in with a pretty good shot to win again. Yeah, I, I don't disagree there. I think a lot of that's going to come down to um, whether Cameron Green comes back after the Test Series, whether Mitch Marsh comes back. I'm sure he'll be a, a, a travelling reserve and Josh Inglis probably will be as well. So I think that's what that'll come down to. For me, though, it's the Hurricanes. As you said, consistency is going to be key. And uh, as far as I'm aware, they're not going to lose anyone to Test Selection. Um, Matthew Wade was, I think, their most recent Test player. Uh, so I, I think that's... That's probably their best bet. Obviously, these three Pakistan guys, really good players, available the whole time. Ricky Ponting in there, Tim David. I could talk about Tim David all day, as you know. Ben McDermott up the top. Uh, maybe some questions around their bowlers, but you know that batting lineup is really strong. Darcy Short, Matthew Wade, Ben McDermott, the Pakistan guys, Tim David. Um, yeah, hard to, hard to go past that, and especially with the home ground advantage that is that is Hobart. Um, so yeah, that's kind of. That's kind of everything from from there. Who do you think is the the best value pick? Um, well, I think I said so earlier. It's Time or Mills. 
Um, yeah. Getting him as the last pick of the draft, I think, is fantastic. I think Tymel Mills could easily go in the second or third round. Um, I think maybe he's a little bit past his prime, but he can still perform and he's still a great bowler. And I think he's the value pick. Yeah, I'm going to disagree. I think we had Tymel Mills actually going in the platinum round beforehand. Um, that's how that's how high we rate him, along with Russo. But for me, it's Akil Hussain, uh, the West Indies left-arm spinner, just taken a, a truckload of wickets in the last couple of years for the West Indies and and uh, has been has been really, really good. Um, the, the, I think what's going to really make a difference, though, is, is the replacement players. Obviously, a lot of these guys are going to be seven, eight games at most, and then we'll see you know, who didn't go in this auction whoever can come into that second half and and uh, take their teams forwards. But we will move on to uh, international cricket whip around uh, and some of the 100 as well, a bit of other stuff. Um, we'll start with England and South Africa, though. Um, England, really good stuff. <laughs> a series that kind of uh, has been both competitive and uncompetitive at the same time. Obviously, both teams have won a game, but they've both been by an innings in each case. Uh, so, you know, a really odd one there, right? Yeah, well, um, let's get excited. Bazball is back. It's uh, a, <laughs> it's Bazarus, or you know, however you want to say it. Um, look, um, I said last time, and I'll stand by it. Um, it was a bit of an overreaction to say that it was over. Um, clearly by this result, it's not over. Um, yeah, it's it. It has been an odd series. It's basically one team has gotten on top mentally, and stayed there, and that's happened to both tests, which is odd, but. Mm. You know, um, I guess it's a part of, um, in South Africa's first innings, their top scoring batter was Kagiza Rabada. Yeah. As such, I think that kind of broke a lot of their confidence, which is why they didn't perform in their second innings. Yeah. Um, so the mental aspect of the test game um, obviously means a lot. If you get all out for 151 on, you know, obviously a very battable pitch, the 415 that England made, um, it's, you know, it's not going to go great for you. Um, maybe you can bring it back in the in the third innings if you uh, if you perform, but that didn't happen for South Africa because I think their, you know, their body language and the way their bowling innings went, they just felt felt defeated. Yeah, I, I think that's all correct. I think um, South Africa just made the wrong decision. They uh, went in a bowler heavy, but a spin bowler heavy, right? They went in with with Harmer and Maharaj uh, rather than you know the four pace balls. They dropped uh, Marco Janssen. And uh, it just didn't work out for them, right? They went in with that, hoping that, you know, we'll bat first. We'll put a big title on the board. Day four, day five, Maharaj, Sama, will, uh, Hama will just spin spin us to victory. And uh, it didn't get to day four or five, did it? So that plan's not going to work. And when you go in a bowler, a bowler heavy, you know, Hama batting at seven, he can hold a bat, obviously. Like, he's hit first-class hundreds, but uh, he, he's not a number seven, that's for sure. I think. No, they've probably got three number eights there in Harma, Maharaj and Rabada. And uh, it didn't work for them. Uh, they were five down at lunch on day one. And from there, it was it was always going to be a low total. Uh, Rabada kind of saved them a little bit, took it from what could have been, you know, all out for 100 to all out for 150. But as you said, their bowling innings, uh, they looked kind of broken. Rabada going at almost five and over. Uh, Nokia at four and over, you know, they, they pick these attacking bowlers in the hope, you know, we're going to take wickets. Rabada, obviously the greatest strike rate of all time, uh, all time within the last 50 years or whatever. And uh, yeah, that, that was the hope, but, you know, he bowled 23 overs, only a couple of wickets. And uh, yeah, it just, it just didn't work out for South Africa this time around, did it? 
No, um, Notcher did end up taking um Threefer, so um his average for that um innings actually wasn't too expensive in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, um, at you know England were in control firmly for a long time during that innings, so you know there may have been a couple of bonus wickets and that sort of thing. Um, Maharaj took two, but um, I think on the other side, I think England bowled really well. Um, you know the swing um of Robinson and Anderson just kind of had a really big impact. Um, the accuracy, I find in particular from Robinson, um, was really what held down a lot of the South African batsmen. And uh, yeah, um, I guess it's just interesting to see what the uh, what the rubber match will be like. Yeah, I think that's it's going to come obviously down to this decider. Uh, I think that begins on Thursday our time. So uh, yeah, really, really, England were just, were just too good. Jimmy Anderson... Proving is he's one of the best of all time with with Threefa uh, and you know blowing blowing South Africa away. Um, Zach Crawley, thirty eight from one hundred and one. Do you think that's enough for him to warrant his spot? No. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I can say more, but his his average is awful. He's yes. he's played way too much. He yep. should have been dropped years ago, and I think <laughs> he came into the team years ago. It's. <laughs> It's just there's too much, too much going on there. No, I think he needs a break from the national team. And I think he just needs to re-examine kind of how he approaches it and how he plays in county cricket and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that's all, all pretty much correct. Um, Crawley, obviously, yeah, he, he struggled. Um, you know, he, Brendan McCullum came out before this test and said, we want to play his natural game, go hard at the ball, all those things. And then he comes out with... What was it, 38 from 101 balls? He, he basically shut up shop for most of it, just blocking out where he could. Um, so, yeah, for me, they've got to make a change there. With one test to go, they probably just leave him, to be honest with you. I think it's probably too hard to bring uh, bring someone else in, especially for a debut with, you know, the game being a decider and uh, it being the last game of the summer. So, yeah, I think he probably sticks around for one more and then they'll reevaluate on their way to Pakistan. Uh, hopefully they have someone who can play spin a little bit better. Um, I've just got one question to ask you. Who do you think, uh, w- without just just a quick impression, just as quick as you can, who's a better batter, Ben Folks or Joss Butler? Oh, do you mean test batter? No, no just a better batter. I think Joss Butler's better. I'd agree with you. If we look at the test numbers, though, Ben Folks has just brought up his second test century in 16 tests. Joss Butler's played 57 of them and still only made two. Um, I think it's. I think Ben Folks has put the case to rest. Right, that that spots his now. Yeah, test test keeper is Folks. That with with that big century, um, and he keeps pretty well. Um, I think it just just makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think South Africa? Should make a change to this last one, maybe uh, drop Harmer or, or Maharaj and, and bring a pace bowler back in? Um, yeah, I think there's value in bringing Jansen back in. Um, and I think this whole series has proven that pace is, um, has been king for the, uh, the latter half of the English summer. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Harmer makes way and um, Jansen comes back in. Yeah, that's definitely the way I'd go. I think South Africa should maybe also... I'm um, trying to find a spot enough for another batter as well because you know it's just it's it's just one too many short and especially if you're batting first that England opening uh, opening bowling partnership they're just just too good. Uh, but we'll move on to the hundred. Um, 
a lot of the Australian men have obviously come back to Australia uh, to play in this ODI series, but there's a couple still running around. Uh, Josh Inglis made three, Ben McDermott, a duck. Um, they're both playing for London Spirit. Uh, Nathan Ellis is also for the Spirit, hasn't really done a lot. The Australians have been pretty quiet this week, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, it's been a quieter week. Um, also in the women's game as well, um, Molyneux and Perry haven't really brought it um, as they have in previous weeks. But, you know, it happens. Um, I, I I imagine for, at least for the uh, men's players who are um, the international players in the 100, um, it's probably a little bit unsettling seeing, you know, like a lot of your teammates or, you know, your countrymen all going back and you staying there. So I think there's probably, you know, a bit of a mental aspect to it as well, but you know, it's cricket, you know, you get um, peaks and troughs in form. And um, this, this is obviously just some of those, some of those blips. Yeah, that's all absolutely right. Um, Peter Hatzoglu is playing. Uh, he's been called in for the Oval Invincibles. Uh, he had a ball the other day, one for 29 from his 20 balls. Uh, what's your overall opinion of Peter? Um. I'm very, I'm very mid on him. Um, sometimes I love watching him. Most of the time I can't bear to. Um, I don't know. It's a strange action. Um, and it's, it's slow and it's, uh, I don't know. If, if he was a baseball pitcher, he'd be getting smacked all the time. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's all pretty fair. Um, Edge of the Crowd has a connection there. We, before you became on Callum, uh, we had Max here, Peter's brother. Uh, he's moved on to better things, but um, that is what it is. As you said, the Australian women haven't really done a lot either. Beth Mooney, a threefer. Uh, sorry, not a threefer. That would be good. She keeps um, just three runs. Uh, as you said, the Australian's not really doing a lot. And scores have been down uh, quite a fair bit this week. Yep, scores have been down. Um, I think because bowling's been better. Um, they've worked out a bit better how to bowl on the 100. And um, I think that's the, the – I don't think the pitches have been worse. Um, maybe they were a bit better for batting in, you know, previous weeks, but I don't think they've been materially worse. Um, I think it's just the bowlers have worked out better how to do it. And I think the um, the captains have worked out how to rotate their bowlers better as well. Yeah, uh, I think the best performing Australian was uh, Annabelle Sutherland. She hit 31 from 22 for the Welsh Fire. Um, but that's that's about it. I think Nicola Carey also got a player of the match performance, but uh, not nothing all that spectacular. I think it was three wickets. Um, Beth Mooney did hit a good 61 from 39 a little bit later on, a couple of stumpings there as well. But once again, uh, a pretty low chase. Um, the other competition that's going on around the world at the moment is the 60. Um, what do you know of the 60? I know very little of the 60. I know Bravo <laughs> hit a lot at the 60. Oh, sorry, Russell did, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't, I think I don't know worth, much else. I don't think it's worth going through results there. Um, 60 ball competition uh, scores about 110, 120. So, as you said, they're hitting a lot of runs and uh, some very big sixes. But, yeah, not really our kind of cricket, I'd suggest. Um, they also have a have a fan vote for, for a random free hit during the innings. What do you reckon about that? I think that's completely... <laughs> absurd yeah i was going to use less pleasant word but i thought i better not um it's really stupid i I don't understand 60 is too short um i get that they're trying to market it and make it really fun and that sort of thing but i think it's just over the top and kind of too far removed from what i know as cricket (laughs) 
Yeah, I think uh, obviously the Big Bash likes to bring in some gimmicks, uh, but, you know, uh, a fan voted, you get on your phone, you vote for which who you want to hit the free hit, uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And if I was the bowler at that time, as Andre Russell was, uh, I'd be pretty pissed off because uh, you're not ruining my figures just because you wanted to have a vote. Uh, anyway, there was one more game. The Asia Cup started overnight for us. I think India and Pakistan will play uh, in a few hours as we're recording, but Sri Lanka was destroyed overnight. Yeah, yeah. They um they lost very firmly to um Afghanistan, who, credit to them, were very impressive. Hmm. Um, there was quite a bit of controversy over that um that out call. Um, I'll let you go into it because I didn't see too much about it. But yeah, that was interesting. Um, yeah, 105 for Sri Lanka, probably not good enough. Well, it was obviously not good enough because Afghanistan chased it in 10 overs. Um, but, you know, good performances from Afghanistan. Uh, Faruqi took three for 11, which is impressive. Nabi was really solid in his four overs. And um, as I mentioned before, Mujib took a couple. And yeah, just the spin bowling of um, the Afghanistanis is really strong. And um, I think they're, uh, they're probably with this result, they're probably much more of a threat in the tournament than other teams maybe looked at them as. Yeah, absolutely. T20 cricket, obviously anything can happen, but Afghanistan have, have really worked hard on that format to make it their premier format. And as you said, their spinners have uh, been incredible. Rashid Khan, though, uh, another wicketless match. I think that makes four in a row now in T20i cricket after not taking a wicket against Ireland. Um, just a, a little bit of a dry spell. I know he went to the 100 and took some wickets, but Hopefully he can, uh, as a Strikers fan, hopefully he can get a few more before we get to the Big Bash because uh, he, he'll need to take a few there. Um, but as you said, there was a, a bit of a controversial decision. Um, the the on-field umpire gave a, a catch behind out. Uh, it was reviewed. Clearly nothing on the bat. You know, hot spot, nothing. Uh, I don't even know if you can call it a, a raise on Snicko. There was the, like a tiny mumble. Um on the third umpire there. And the third umpire just decided to stay with the on-field decision. Obviously, you know, the fans from Asia are very passionate, right? And they're not afraid to, to say uh, what they believe on social media. And uh, it, it can get pretty bad sometimes. And it's fair to say uh, a lot of Sri Lankans did not agree with that decision, which is uh, fair enough. I wouldn't have given that out. Um, but, you know, stick with the umpire's call and learn to accept it. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, as I said, India and Pakistan play each other tonight. That's going to be a massive game. And, uh, yeah, obviously massive crowd, all that kind of stuff in Dubai. So that would be good to see. But we're going to move on to everyone's favourite segment, six or out. Uh, do you want to kick things off this week, Cal? Sure. Um, so how many bowling options is too many bowling options? <laughs> I'm saying that here um, in, uh, in the wake of the Australian game because – there was an all-rounder that didn't bowl. Yeah, well, as you said earlier, Marcus Stoinis is picked as a batter, uh, but should be an all-rounder, really. That's where his skill set lies. Um, yeah, I think they went in with, what, seven or eight uh, seven or eight bowlers, just way too many, especially in Lyndon Overs cricket. You just don't need them. So, yeah, I reckon five and then an all-rounder. So five bowlers and Glenn Maxwell. That'll get you through your overs uh, more often than not. And I think uh, we'll probably see that next time around with Marnus coming into the team. And even then, he bowls a bit as well. So Australia can't escape these all-rounders. Okay, we just saw the BBL draft. Who do you think is the biggest snub? Uh, Faf Duplessis. 
Um, I will explain. Um, we had him going first. Um, yeah. <laughs> you had him going second, but I took him first. Um, I don't care if he's not here for the whole time. He's probably one of the biggest names in cricket <laughs> in the whole cricketing world. And I think it's ridiculous that he's not playing in the big bash since he was one of those huge, really big marketed players. And he always was like, even before the platinum players were announced and we saw Trent Bolt and Chris Jordan and Jason Roy get, you know, added into the fray. I was always certain that Faf Duplessis wasn't picked. And since he wasn't, I was so shocked. Yeah. Disappointing for everyone, I think. Um, so on the um, debate of the draft, um, Usman Khawaja suggested that it should be free for all. There shouldn't be tiers of players. Do you agree with that? And how would you do salary? Uh, I'd, I'd 100% agree with that. I think that it's, um, you know, that that class system was ridiculous. Um, obviously, it would have made our draft, uh, mock draft, look a lot better. So I'm all for that. Usman's a smart man, must have been reading our stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the idea that Alex Hales isn't a platinum player just because whatever requirements there he didn't fill uh, is ridiculous to me. I think you know the the, the IPL route's the way to go down. Have play have a bid on players, and still with those retention picks, that's that's the way to do it. And uh, unfortunately, the money's not just not there for it. But hopefully, uh, when CA doubles that money, we have a bigger draft, more players, all that kind of thing. That would that would be what I want to see. Uh, we've only seen one game of the Asia Cup so far, but who do you think will win the competition overall? Um, look, it heavily depends on what happens tonight. <laughs> um, and it also depends on how close of a game it is. Um, but I feel like if India win, probably by any margin, I think they'll win the tournament. So I think my tentative pick is India. Good call. Do you think uh, Virat Kohli could hit 100? No, <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but he wants to take a break and his mind's not there. So I don't think he will. Uh, anyways, so uh, my last question is, we talked a lot about um, kind of, you know, prioritizing your money between international players and domestic players and that sort of thing. Um we know that there's a big salary cap. Should there be a cap on individual salaries as well? No, I think if um, if a team is willing to pay, like out of their $1.8 million budget, if they want to pay a million dollars to secure Tim David for the tournament, uh, that's on them. Um, it's going to mean you don't have great players for the rest of the tournament, probably relying on a lot of clubbies. But if that's the way you want to run your club, you should be allowed to do that. Um, obviously, it's not, probably not great for the overall um competition in terms of quality but like you shouldn't be allowed to tell Ricky Ponting that you can't have this player because you can't afford him if you want to go that extra step pay that extra money then it should be all yours I think uh the difference what the big bash has going for is they're spending all of that 1.8 million because they're not beholden to owners who might want to save a bit of that cash or don't quite have enough to spend that year like the IPL has so you know that's the advantage but yeah, I think the team should be free to, free to pretty much do what they want there, as Usman quite just said. Uh, my final question, after that BBL draft, who do you think is the favourite to win and the favourite to lose overall? Um, well, I said earlier in the episode, I'll say it again, I think Perth Scorchers are the favourite to win. I think they've kept their squad most well together. 
Um, you mentioned the concerns about the international players and um, them integrating back in, but I think they've got a pretty solid system over there and I think they'll know how to do it and how to do it gradually. You saw it with Marsh last year and you'll probably see it again this year. And um, oh, the team that's most likely to, to lose, that's, um, that always feels like a very harsh um, prediction to make. Um, I, think, I think maybe the Heat, um, simply because I, they had a decent draft. They didn't have an amazing draft. Um, they've obviously lost Chris Lynn, um, and I just don't know how well their um, team is going to fit together with the pieces they put together and all the change in rotation. So I think, I guess, they probably struggle the most. Good call, good call. We'll move on to the last segment of the day. It's been a pretty BBL-heavy show, but uh, we're going to continue that a little bit. We'll go through some of the... Uh, the signings closer to home, the locals that have, that have come up over the last couple of weeks. And the first one, uh, Cam Green signing with the Scorchers. Hasn't played for them since before the pandemic, but uh, he's going to be back in orange. Yeah, no, um, I think it's good to have Green. Um, Green's the best young Western Australian talent. Probably the best young Australian talent as it is. He should be playing in the Australian Domestic League. So it's good to have him back and it's good to have him in his, um, you know, at his home um, at the Wacker and that sort of thing. Well, they play in the stadium now, actually, though, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's good to have him in Western Australia. It'll be good, even if he doesn't play the whole time, because obviously he has test commitments, international commitments, that sort of thing. It'll be good to have him, good to develop him, and good to just introduce him to the local audience a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, really good player. Come a long way since I, I played against him and he got a duck when he was 15. But he's uh, doing really well. Uh, now... He hasn't really, you know, he hasn't played a lot of T20 cricket, so it'll be good to see him um, do that. And Matt Renshaw was released from his Adelaide Strikers contract uh, to go back to the Heat, so almost a player swap there with Chris Lynn obviously going uh, to the Strikers. Yep, yep, that's interesting. Um, you know, Renshaw is a Queensland player, younger player. Um, seems like a he's, he's a character, um, so I know I think that'll um, that'll probably help in the uh, in the Brisbane locker room. Um, especially considering my earlier prediction of they're going to lose a lot. So I think having well-spirited guys in the uh, locker room will help. And, um, you know, I think he's a nice pickup. He's a good left-hand bat. Um, apparently he bowls a bit too. Um, and yeah, he's just, um, he's a good guy to have around. He's a good young Australian player. And um, I think it's a good pickup for the Heat. Yeah, I think the, I think Renshaw will be in the Australian squad for India. Uh, not the T20 squad, obviously the test squad a bit later on. Uh not really got anything to do with this, but I think that will be the case. Um, as you said, he bowls a bit. I think the strikers found their replacement for Renshaw last year when Matt Short really stood up um, with bat and ball. Uh, you know, they kind of used Renshaw to begin with opening the bowling, trying to like sneak through an over like Glenn Maxwell does and, and then batting through the middle. And I think Matt Short uh, did really well last year with that similar kind of role. And that's kind of allowed uh, the strikers to free up some cap space as well. Uh, by getting rid of Renshaw. Alex Ross, the sweepologist, off to the Thunder once again. Uh, disappeared for a bit. He's played for the Heat before, but uh, the Thunder is, is where he really thrives. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Ross is a nice player. He's been in and around the Australian setup for a while. Um, you know, played a lot of big bash cricket. And um, as you said, particularly successful for the Thunder. Um, also a fun character. He um, ran the Sydney Thunder social media during the uh, draft and... Um, had some had some good fun with that, so he's obviously a good guy for them to pick up and have around. And um, yeah, I'm if I if I'm a Thunder fan, I'm, I'm more a Sixers fan. But if I'm a Thunder fan, I'm happy to have Alex Ross. 
Yeah, and, and I think the Thunder will be interesting to see who, who captains that size. Obviously, Kawhi just not there. Um, you know, Jason Sanger did it a bit last year. Uh, I think personally it'll be Chris Green, but we'll wait for that to be announced. Uh, you know, Riley Rousseau, uh, Alex Hales, Jason Sanger, and then Alex Ross coming in at four. That's a pretty strong lineup for the Thunder. And uh, I think they'll do pretty well this year. And uh, another striker signing. They've been pretty busy over the last couple of weeks. They also signed uh, Head and Carey for a bit longer. But Henry Thornton, their, their speedster they kind of discovered last season, will be back in blue this year. Yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be good to see. Um, I didn't um get to watch too much of him last year. Um, just because of the matches I watched, he he wasn't featured, but you know, happens that way sometimes. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him and seeing what he can do in a in the next uh, big bash. Yeah, a lot of comparisons to Brett Lee last year. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. You know, Brett Lee was hitting 160s, and uh, Thornton's like 148. Uh, not quite as quick, but you know, a really good bowler. Hopefully, he comes along. Uh, well, uh, off to the women's women's big bash though. Haley Matthews is off to the Renegades. Um, kind of disappointing, especially if you're an Indian fan. Uh, it means that either Rodriguez or Harmanfreet Core won't be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I expect one of them. I guess it would be Rodriguez, but I expect one of them would be picked up by a different franchise. So I, I don't think we'll miss them, but we'll just miss them being on the same team. Yeah, Rodriguez will definitely get picked up somewhere else. Um, really popular player. Um, good for marketing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Rachel Haynes has signed with the Thunder and Elise Perry with the Sixers. Um, you know, leadership um, and those players just sticking by their sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Haynes has, you know, done everything there is to be be done. Um, as we said, she's probably going to be um, Australian captain as well, um, at least for the time being, while um, Lanning's out. And, um, yeah, her going back to the Thunder, it's good, great signing for them. And, yeah, Elise Perry's been the Sixers leader, you know. I mean, along with Healy, they've both been, you know, the icons in pink. I think men's or women's, they've been the Sixers players. And, um, you know, it's great to have Elise Perry back. Yeah, I think you mentioned landing there. I think it's going to be really interesting um, what happens there and, and whether her team goes after, uh, like, oh, that's to cut her, get rid of that salary and then, and then go after a different player. Or if Lanning um, comes back in time to play, we obviously haven't heard anything yet. Uh, if we do, we'll tell you. And the final one to highlight is Izzy Wong off of the Hurricanes, um, bringing some some really good pace down south. Yeah, yeah, Izzy Wong is um, great. I've seen a few interviews with her, and she's a really, really cool person. And um, she's a, a great um, advocate for cricket and for women's cricket. And um, I'm really excited to see her play in the WBBL. Yeah, and uh, the final person we'll talk about who has the Hurricanes link, obviously, is Tim Payne. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but Tim Payne it was revealed by Peter Layla, who's essentially um, Tim Payne's ghostwriter. Gives him a lot of good information over there uh, that he'll be coming back. He's been training with the Hurricanes, uh, sorry, with the with the Tigers recently, and uh, looks like he'll be coming back into the Shield and one-day team. Yep, yep. Um, he... He probably doesn't want to end his career on that note. And that makes sense. Um, he is quite old now, but he, from what we saw, he can still produce with the bat. Um, he's an excellent wicket keeper. You know, there's no denying that. And I think he's just hoping to, um, to leave on his own terms and leave probably without that sour taste in his mouth. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, great keeper. Um, can still do it with the bat. You know, he's 37, but uh, crazier things have happened in sport and in cricket before. Um, 
you know, a texting scandal didn't kill Shane Warne's career. So there's no reason it should kill Tim Payne's either. He was thrown under the bus a little bit there by Cricket Australia, who, you know, built him up to be this this perfect person uh, to lead the country after the sandpaper. And the whole time they knew that, you know, this scandal was in the background somewhere and could have come out and, and it just eventually did. And uh, probably one season, one season too early for Payne. Um, he probably would have retired after the Ashes, let's be honest there. But uh, if he can make his way back into the, into the Tigers team, uh, he'll be really good. Obviously, you know, there's Jake Doran there who takes the gloves, Ben McDermott as well, and then Matthew Wade at a pitch. So it'll be hard to break into. But you never know. If he puts on, you know, hits three centuries before Christmas and uh, Alex Kerry's not doing all that well with the gloves, like there's a tour to India, you need to be good with the gloves, especially to Nathan Lyon. Uh, there's a path, definitely a path there for him to come back for Australia. There's a path, but I would prefer to try Inglis first before going back to Payne. Um, I think Inglis has been at and around the um, setup for a while, and I think um, I think he's got the um, the mindset and the skills to succeed at um, test level. And I think the only way he's going to improve to that level is if we select him more. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree there. I just think Inglis, his glove work, no one's really seen. Um, you know, we've watched him play in the Big Bash, some shield stuff, but as I've said before, he keeps to 140 kilometer out of pace bowlers because that's what WA produce. And then the spinners, Agar, when he plays, which let's be honest, is pretty rare. So uh, how he is against spin is, is pretty untested. And, you know, Payne has been tested against spin for the last 20 years, basically, and is... Uh, as you said, the best keeper in the country. So uh, I'd like to see him again for Australia. I'd at least like to see him playing for Tasmania and, and maybe the Hurricanes at a pinch. Who knows what happens there? But um, good luck to good luck to Tim because I think he was thrown under the bus a little bit. Uh, but that'll wrap things up for the week. We'll call Stumps on the episode. Where can people find you on social media, Callum? Yep, I'm on Twitter um, at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. And you can find me at Rory underscore Dennis on, on Twitter and everywhere, basically. Um, you can find the podcast, the Top Edge podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And Edge of the Crowd, pretty much everywhere. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I'll be told if I forget something there. And uh, that's all at Edge of the Crowd. And then the website's obviously edgeofthecrowd.com. But that will wrap, wrap things up for the week. So we'll call stumps on the episode. And we'll see you 